Let's go. Six Pack Double Feature with your hosts. I'm not Nathan. I'm not Travis. Hey, there you guys are. Join Nathan and Travis as they pair and compare your favorite and not so favorite movies. If it was on the shelf at your local video store, it's fair game. Grab a cold one and let's do this. It's the mature thing to do. It's Six Pack Double Feature. Yeah, so it was like, I don't know, um, probably about a month ago, we went to, uh, I just, we would, Jamie and I went up to um, Franklin, Kentucky, and I found, uh, just, there was like a liquor store or two on the way, right before we got back to the interstate, and I was like, I'll just see what they have in there, if they've got any beers that I can't seem to find at home. Steven Spielberg presents Inner Space. When test- Stop. You're in Franklin, Kentucky. Yeah, that's where I found yeah. the Narragansett Light, which was good. And then um, the uh, fucking uh, Flying Dog Imperial Porter, which is like five and some change percent. Mm-hmm. I was like, I had only six of those. So it was like, I don't know, expensive for a six pack. I was like, I don't want, I don't like that shit anyway and plus it was July um but I was like I'll get like six of these I was like you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna have these tonight and I was like six beers I'll be fine I drank three of them and I fucking woke up on the couch like I'd fucking taken a Valium or something <laughs> I, I, I woke up at like I don't know two three in the morning and I was like yeah you've changed <laughs> it was nuts dude and they were what APV five and some change that's I think. not that maybe, that's... maybe no I don't think they're ten I don't remember. Yeah, I was going to say if they're 10, that's high. For they're, I was say 5 compared to the the norm of like any regular beer is between like 4 and 5 and a half, yeah, 6 Yeah, they're, they're max. higher than you, that. I'm yeah, going okay. to Google it right mm-hmm. now. Take three of these and call me in the morning when you remember what happened yeah. last night. <laughs> Gonzo Imperial Porter alcohol percentage. Oh, that's right, because the Flying Dog does the Gonzo. Yeah. And that's the use nine point two. There it okay, is. Okay, that's that's a little, that's a little more stout. Yeah, I, I told somebody uh, summer summer acted like Ike Turner. <laughs> We're Tina over here having a good old fucking time, not realizing <laughs> summer <laughs> summer's <laughs> over here in the corner, pissed off, giving <laughs> us that Lawrence Fishburne look. Turned right into a back slap, <laughs> backhand of summer. Anyway, gang, <laughs> welcome to it. Uh, that was Nathan with the weather. This is Six Pack Double Feature. I am not Nathan. And I am not Travis. And we have gathered together today for, I don't, I'm going to tell you earlier, man, but this one's going to be rough. My notes are... Light? Yeah, they're... <laughs> I got a page for Interspace and a page and a half for uh, Matinee. That's what the movies we're doing today, by the yeah. way. <laughs> Joe Dante Double Feature. Look, and I'll, I'll put it to you this way. It depends on the movie. Sometimes... You feel a little more inspired. Something catches, gets in your head. You want to write something down, an observation, whatever. Sometimes, you know, depending on the movie, and these are good Joe Dante movies. They're just. That's just it. They're Joe Dante movies. Yeah. They're not. He doesn't. He's made a couple of. I don't think. I don't think The Burbs was as big as it is to you and me, but Gremlins, you know. Yeah. um, He's he's had some big ones up there. Um, These two were really. They're fucking B movies, man. Yeah, um, and they they were like modern B movies. One is a modern B movie. One is a love letter to like monster it's a B B movie about yeah. B movies. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
I don't think it would have been. Per, I don't think anyone else could have pulled off the way these movies could have been done better than him. And I know that neither of these films did financially well in the theater. No. Um, but how about we get into a trailer and let's let's talk about let's some do inner a, space. Let's do inner space. Even Spielberg presents Inner Space when test pilot Tuck Pendleton gets miniaturized and injected into Jack Butter. I'm possessed. Together, they'll launch the summer's wildest adventure. Try to stay calm, Jack. To the rescue. Dennis Quaid, Martin Short, Inner Space, directed by Joe Dante, rated PG. Starts Wednesday, July 1st at a theater near you. Uh, 86? 87. 87. That was a big year for, for me for some movies that year. If you want to, I'm not trying to jump ahead, but I said, how old were you the first time you saw this? I would have been seven. I was 11, on the cusp of 12. <laughs> um... I'm pretty sure I had spent a good portion of my summer in Washington State with my cousins. I remember taking a road trip with my grandpa going up there. I don't remember how long I was up there. It may have only been like two weeks, but it probably felt like half the summer. Sure. Um, And only being 11 at the time and with the limited scope of what I was or wasn't permitted to see in the theater – because my uncle and aunt would have been the exact same as what my parents would have been. Oh, okay. It's not like, oh, you want to go see Robocop? This thing, you know, there's there's no way that would have happened. <laughs> um, let alone, I wouldn't even know if I would have had any interest at, yet at that time. Maybe. I don't know. Um, but I do remember specifically seeing these movies that came out during the summer uh, where Inner Space was a big one. Spaceballs was a big one. Uh, Harry and the Hendersons was mm-hmm. also a big one. Uh, this one felt extra special because it took place in Washington because it was about Bigfoot. Um, <laughs> Superman for the Quest for Peace came out this year, <laughs> and The Living Daylights, the new oh, yeah. James Bond movie. And these all could have been released within just a few weeks of each other. I, I don't know. Um, it's a little harder to gauge because movies were in theaters for Ever. months, yeah. at least, back then. So... Um, and they're definitely much longer than they are now, depending on on the movie. Uh, so I could have seen all of these in August, for all I sure. for all I know, because in August they could have all been in the theater right, playing right. still. Um, but I do know that they were. I know that Interspace. You heard the little TV spot. It came, it was released for July Fourth weekend. <laughs> um, it was then he knew he fucked up. <laughs> What was it? Comp- <laughs> what was it competing against? Uh, Dragnet, really? And Dragnet won out. I have some more information on that in in a in a in a bit. Here. I, um, as you were talking, I started to think: Did I see this in the theater, or did I see this on home video? Lisa said this for her. This was a constant uh, rental in the late eighties for I, her. And now that you're telling me, I don't remember. I remember not being scared of the cowboy, but. Thinking he was more like a bad guy than he is, or maybe I got the cowboy confused with uh, old Wes. From, uh, <laughs> right, it's not Wes. Um, who, the guy with the robot arm. Oh, Mister Igo. Mister Igo. Igo is freaky because well, and he's, he's not Wes. Wes was somebody else. Um, in Mad and Max. he's fuck, he's Australian. He's in a few, a handful of movies. Yeah. Um, I didn't have his name down here. I now. um, but he's in the Mad Max. Yeah. Uh, two right. 
Mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's a spiky hair Yeah, guy. he's callback <laughs> to I, a, a previous episode. <laughs> saw this when I was seven or eight, either in the theater or, like I said, I can't remember now, I, or um, uh, my mom possibly rented it. Um, and I don't, it doesn't seem like something my mom would have wanted to watch, so I don't know why. It got rented? Yeah, maybe I wanted to watch it because Ed Grimley was in it. Um, Martin Short played a character called Ed Grimley. Oh, got it. Yes. Okay. He kind of dances like him when he's... Yeah, and maybe that was it. Um, And I haven't seen it since until I watched it just two weeks ago. Really? Yeah. Okay. I was curious how it would hold up. Um, And I uh, also wrote, I was going to clock the first time that Joe Dante uses a transition as uh or tv as a transition from one scene to another right. I, did, I did not do that you did uh, not but i did clock dick miller at six thirty three. yeah he was in early yeah. he was in quick and not in a it was a very small role for him in this one yeah um i, I like this as a kid because i thought he's like he's doing the dancing thing that he right. does when he's and i did laugh at a couple of spots it's got some good humor in it yeah it does it just it doesn't necessarily have laugh out loud stuff and some of the the exchanges between Jack uh, and 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 Tuck are good. It's just yeah depends on the moment. Yeah. Let me do a two sentence summary real quick. Sure. Dennis Quaid looks like if you had half of Tom Cruise and half of Kevin Costner, half of Harrison Ford, and half of Michael Keaton as an actor. He co-stars opposite Martin Short. (laughs) I made that one up on the spot because I saw this other note that I wrote. Here's what I actually wrote. Joe Dante directs the most coke-fueled mix of Top Gun, James Bond, and you know, you don't really see it coming. That's it. (laughs) Uh... What's funny, when I watched this, um, it's been a couple of years. I've seen this many times, Interspace for me, is um, not a go-to, but it's it's been dozens, easily. A dozen. Wow. Okay. You know, easily. Um, But I never knew until I watched uh, The Howling last year for the first time in probably two decades. I've never seen The Howling. Uh, I got it on Blu-ray. Holds up ra- rather well. At first, when I watched it for the first time, I wasn't that impressed with it. Right. Um, I've grown in appreciation for Rob Bottin's, you know, sure, stuff. Sure. And Robert, um, was it uh, Richard Picardo is one of the one of the werewolves in The Howling. Oh, cool. Um, Robert Picardo. Robert Picardo. Why do I say Richard? Anyway, um, because I'm trying to put Ricardo <laughs> together. In- Babaloo. Yeah, exactly. Um, his DP. <laughs> Um, John Hora plays Ozzy, the scientist mm. who ends up stabbing Martin <laughs> Short in the, in the butt, in the buttocks with the, yeah. Uh, so he, I guess that was Spielberg's idea is he wanted, I was like, well, I think he would play the mad scientist kind of guy really well. And there I was like, I don't know if that'd be work. Will it work? Will it not work? So when I watched the behind the scenes thing with howling and I'm like, that's the guy who plays Ozzy, the scientist in inner space. How funny. He cast his DP as one of his characters in his movie later on. Hmm. I just thought that was kind of interesting because I was just like, he looks familiar. And I looked it up. Yep, that's okay. He just played a role in a movie later on. Why do the Quaid brothers look so different? 
Do they have a different? Ooh, do they have a different mom? Maybe. Or I, I doubt it. Why? Why did? Why did Dennis get all of the good genes for the most part? You know. Uh, I mean, he, yeah, I guess. Kinda. I mean, uh, at least on. Well, the but more you, mean, you heard scale. You, you heard the list I read off. It's just like when yeah. you can't get any of these other guys, get Dennis Quaid. Yeah. Well, because he fills those roles. I mean, uh, he does. He's like, if you wanted, like, okay, if you wanted a GI Joe for Christmas. And you wanted, like, I don't know, say Hawk. He right. was, like, the main good guy, G.I. Joe. Right. And your mom told your grandma, like, okay, Nathan wants the Hawk G.I. Joe figure. That's what he wants for Christmas. You get him that, and we'll, you know, we'll combine our efforts and we'll get yeah. everything. And your grandma, being your grandma, doesn't know shit about fuck and goes to, like, Walgreens to fill her prescription and buys you the Walgreens brand. What's the knockoff? What would be the knockoff G.I. Joe? Bird. That would be the character's name. Okay. It would be Army Guy, <laughs> Bird, and he wouldn't have any of the cool shit. You know how like military GI- man, military man, <laughs> collect all three <laughs> today, <laughs> just one dollar. Um, and you're like, what the fuck? And he just the only thing that he resembled a hawk was that he had like blonde hair or something. <laughs> <laughs> He's wearing. Army. What did Brock call the guy from Stranger Things? The Aldi brand Terminator. Uh, yeah, like the Aldi brand Terminator. It's not even that good. Um, but I think the movie is, is relatively well cast because it, it gets, for me, it gets the chef's kiss on how he gets the right two actors to play these characters because I feel Dennis Quaze was the perfect choice because you're kind of taking that maverick from Top Gun, Tom Cruise, but you're throwing in more of the rugged good looks and about 50% more charisma. He's got to be charming. To sit in that little yeah box box for 75, 80% of the movie and to be compelling enough to have you want to be interested to continue watching. And I think he does that well. And I think the same for Martin Short because just he's the exact polar opposite <laughs> yeah. of that. I don't know if the movie would have worked so well with any two other actors at that time. The only th- thought process for me was who else would have been just enough comedic and zany enough to be able to pull that off. And I thought maybe Robin Williams. Gene but Wilder. Maybe, yeah. Gene you Wilder. Could do, you could have gotten Harrison Ford and Gene Wilder. That would have worked for a 1970s version because you'd have to go back about 10 years personally. Sure. But yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that, that would have been bad, but that's a good combination. Um, didn't work think, in the, it didn't work in the Frisco kid. I'll tell you that. <laughs> One of the things that when I, when I was watching this, that I, I wrote down specifically was like, I'm sorry, but there's no way that I could ever see Wendy even considering going out with Jack Putter. Talking about the Meg Ryan character? No. Oh, oh, Wendy Shaw. Yeah. What did she say? I'm really into slam dancing. And slam dancing. Right. You stood me up, Wendy. <laughs> like you had a date. Really? <laughs> my one of my favorite things about Joe Dante and a lot of directors uh do this. Uh he has the same little roster of people. Yeah. They're I either, like how he's got his stable of yeah, like they're either in bigger parts or, or just a they, scene. Yeah. Yeah. But he's almost always there. Yep. Robert Picardo, uh Dick Miller, uh Wendy Shaw, uh Henry Gibson, um he used um, 
uh, Kevin McCarthy a few times. Kevin McCarthy, well. that's the yeah, other yeah, one yeah. I couldn't yeah. think of. Yeah, Kevin McCarthy. Because uh, Kevin McCarthy comes up in... Because I like how it's later. like in two years later, you got Henry Gibson, and you got... Um, Dick Miller, Robert yeah. Picardo, and the Yeah, birds. that's right. They're the garbage man. <laughs> yep. Garbage! <laughs> garbage man! Um... Well, not to spoil my Magic Wander recast, but that would be my recast is Harrison Ford and Gene Wilder. (laughs) But if I, off the top of my head, if I was gonna, if I was gonna say fuck that and do a Magic Wand, I would say uh, just for funsies, uh, (laughs) there's a small air. The actually the air bubble that is inside his thing uh, causes Jack to have an embolism, and he dies on the spot right there in the mall. And then so Tuck is trying to navigate his way through a corpse. <laughs> and he doesn't know. It gets real dark real fast. And there's no. <laughs> I mean, it's basically like lost in space, right? Yeah. I got to get out of here. I don't even know where what I'm in. Yeah. And you wouldn't. I it might. It either be a really long movie or a really short movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's only going to be 48 hours, regardless, because he's got limited oxygen. See, okay, that was one of the things that didn't work for me. Really? Go into the his limited? lung. Go into his lung and open up a fucking hatch. Like he does to get his alcohol? Exactly. You know what? Well, I mean, I don't want to punch holes in the no, logic of inner right. No, you're but... right. But if he uses it to get drunk, then he uses he should use it to be able to go, I have limited oxygen. Maybe I should figure out a way to fill these tanks. Or maybe the scientist that built this crazy-ass machine could have put an O2 scrubber in the thing or <laughs> something. Call me crazy. But yeah, I was like, just go well, to the lungs. or go. Uh, you go into his mouth. You're right there. You're, uh-huh. th- there's no... You're not in a different atmosphere. You I don't, never thought about it like you're that. You're not going to get pressure point. sickness. Just go open the window, bro. <laughs> Roll down the window and get some fucking fresh. Uh, get some fresh. Yeah, that's my what doesn't work. <laughs> and you got to do a you got to do Apollo thirteen and got to get some bunch of scientists to figure out how to filter out his <laughs> your CO two your CO two levels are getting too high. <laughs> Use duct tape. (laughs) As what? A filter? No, just put it around your head and you'll die fast. Um, So, like, number one, I had no idea how, uh, until doing a bit of research on this movie uh, in the last couple of days, uh, I had no idea that Inner Space had been a box office failure. I did. I had no idea. You know, you don't. Number one, you don't think about those things when you're a kid. You just go see the movies and the ones that you enjoyed. Yeah, you, oddly, you like. they still let Joe Dante make movies. Yeah, it's almost like, oh, okay, he knows what he's doing. Just this one didn't fire. Yeah, okay, let's not just. It's not like he. he it's not like all of his movies where he would go massively over budget, and then it was also a failure because of the budget. Here's the thing: his movies, whether I, I don't really like Inner Space. I don't mean to spoil it. I don't. There's nothing like. I it's don't, not that you dislike it. Yeah, you're indifferent just, to it. Yeah. Okay. If I'm really? watching okay. it, yeah. But there's still a spirit to it. Correct. And there's still like some a, a lot of fun shit. It's like a. Excuse me. It's like a. I mean, it's, I want to say it's like a failed Bond movie, but it got some elements of like a cool yeah, it was, spy movie. The guy with the interchangeable shit on his hand, that's fucking dope, dude. That's fuck. He's a cool villain. He is a good villain. Yeah. He's creepy um, because he doesn't say anything. Yeah. Uh, that also works. But um, <clears throat> but I had no idea that like it had a budget of $27 million and it made domestically 26 So <clears throat> I'm like... Was it a failure? 
or was it it just didn't perform the way they wanted to? Well, there are reasons why it didn't probably perform, and I'll get into that in a second. Um, also, it's surprising that because just two years later, they do the whole shrinking thing again, but I guess Disney knew how to market Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. It's a little more family oriented. They're both more. they're more PG. They're, these are both PG movies, but this one is definitely much more uh, a little more risque compared to a Disney PG. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, thing. yeah. Like and and I looked up just briefly. I'm like, like, well, I wonder how much Honey, I Shrunk the Kids cost. Well, it cost 18 million to make, but they made 130 domestically. <laughs> so it it. Well made its money back compared sure. to this one. You'd think, though, uh, this would have at least made that that $1 million back in rentals and stuff over, yeah. over the years. I, it's I a think, slow burn. But. I think it was a slow burn. I couldn't find any details on how much more money it made in rentals and things of that nature. Right. But um, like when you look at like full amount, apparently it made enough money overseas that it did make some money back. Okay, but domestically it was seen as a, a failure. I wouldn't call it a bomb. But, no, but it did not do what they what Warner Brothers thought it was going to do. But when we were watching this, first before I even get into the contents of Tuck Pendleton's briefcase, I was thinking about the fact that well they gave him forty eight hours worth of oxygen. It just in case. In case he was in there over the limit of whatever it was that was, they were going to be doing I think with he was supposed rabbit. To, he was supposed to just go into the rabbit, see if he could do something. And then I come know. Back out. I, they didn't make it very clear what he was going to be doing other than he was going to be injected into a rabbit for, I'm going to assume, medical purposes or medical research. He's going to get in there and poke around, see, yeah, what's, going see what's going on. But, um, uh, it's like, I feel like he didn't have much to drink in there other than his flask that he needed to refill. Um, <laughs> if you got 48 hours worth of oxygen, where are you going to poop if you got <laughs> something got emergency poop? You know, where are you where do you get? I mean, see, you're punching just as many holes in it. Yeah, yeah. I never thought about it until now. But, I thought about it. Um, it's like, wh- okay, so <laughs> I think the mission was supposed to be like an hour or something like that. Correct. Okay. But again, like, what if he gets trapped in there? Okay. Yeah. I, I guess the idea is like, you fuck you. We're just going to worry about getting you out of there. We're not going to worry about, you know, you shit feeding you. But we got some depends. You might got to take a dump, you know. But then again, you couldn't just vent that into the body of the creature you're in because yeah, that would suck. That would cause sepsis. Right? <laughs> There's a reason. You're... Is it sepsis if it's not your own f- fecal matter? Can you kinda? get sepsis eating piss? <laughs> I think you can, even if it's your own. <laughs> oh, okay. Well. I, I, I thought about that, too. <laughs> but, but it's one of those where it's like, it's a fun 80s sci-fi movie. It was important enough for him to put his briefcase in there, because he eventually what eats. Else was, what else was okay, in Okay, so, so I, I, I wrote down the contents that we could tell when we paused it. He had Oreos. He had chicken McNuggets. 80s. Or, yeah, 80s. In the styrofoam container. Yep. Um, a pudding snack pack, an empty flask, which was eventually be filled later, a cassette player, and six cassettes, including the best of Sam Cooke. No shit. Yeah. We could not 
read what the other ones were, but Bam. you could easily tell what they were. Now, if we had had the ability to take like a screen capture, but we were watching on, on TV and they can't really do that. And even when you pause it, even when it's Blu-ray, it's still kind of hard to read. What's I'm sorry, go ahead. And some type of transistor radio was the other thing that he had in there. What was always what's funny to me is I literally I had seen this once and I vividly remember him sticking that flask out into the thing. I remember that scene. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. When he takes the swig from his flask later. <laughs> when he's that small, how much of that do you think is spit? Oh. Like, you'd probably want to wait till halfway through the pour. Right? Before you stuck your right, flask maybe. In. Or is it is it all encased in saliva? These are the questions, people. These are the that, questions that, that we Joe Dante and answer. Spielberg did not answer with right? space. If he's ever at a con or something, you're like, yeah, so or, how much spit was it when? So when <laughs> would, talk- any, would anyone like to ask Mr. Dante a question? Uh, yes, you sir, with the red hair. <laughs> uh, yeah, yes. so like in inner space, right? When uh, well, for some reason it's Bob McKenzie. Uh, when Tuck takes the uh, flask and sticks it out to get like the whiskey. How much of that was? How much of that was Jack spit? A. <laughs> Rick Moranis would have been a. Oh, he could have he, been. He could have been a good uh, Jack putter. The would have been fun. Another also idea: have it be the McKenzie brothers. One gets injected oh, into the other one. Oh, that would have been. <laughs> he starts amazing. like I'm in your leg, eh? And then he starts hitting his leg. I'm punching him. He's in my leg, right? <laughs> Take he off. Jazz 17 times, eh? I'm going to fly down to your scrot and punch your balls. Uh, that would be fun. Uh, that would be fun. That's a that's a good uh, magic wand. Just bobbing, really put them in anything that's a buddy bobbing, comedy. Yeah. Um, so and that movie's 40 years old. This I know. Year. I know. Uh, so when Dr. Kanker is having the romantic moment with Mr. Igo, uh, I sure as hell didn't get the fact <laughs> when I was 11 that he was attaching a fucking dildo, <laughs> fucking vibrator, <laughs> just before that scene cuts away. That was quick. Like, if you, yeah. you, if you aren't paying attention, you miss it. But it's like, that's a silver dong that he's putting on there. It, did you think it, like it vibrated or was he the vibration? <laughs> Did it have? Batteries? I think it would. I think it would have a gyro. I think. Well, he's whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the rest of the evening sounded like. <laughs> I would think whatever biomechanical hookup he has That's attached gross, to his forearm hey. channels his uh, <laughs> brain waves into electricity enough to power a, um, a silver dong. Uh. I did have a favorite line. It's probably no surprise, but uh, it worked. You digest. You digested the bad guy. <laughs> I remember that too from being a kid. That's a good one. Being, I, I also remember it, make, it making me terrified of my stomach acid. Yeah. Right. Like, like is oh, it, can is it, it do that? Yes, it, it probably could. Is it that powerful? Mm, yeah. Well, there Man. goes my ulcer. <laughs> my favorite line is: "We're going to drink this one to Ozzy, a good man who tried to save my ass by injecting me into yours." <laughs> <laughs> Um, but what was the last bit that I wrote down? It says, the great thing about inner space is how the, the special effects and sheer wonderment of Tuck's predicament inside Jack's body never overwhelm things. Like, 
he's only in there just enough, and then we cut back. Yo, and yeah. So most of the stuff kind of happens in the real world. And so you're only occasionally getting the view of what Tuck right. is having to deal with. So the internal sequences are, are really only used when it's necessary to advance the plot. And they do a good job with he's going to run out of air and he can't get out without the other microchip. Right. He can get out, but he can't get big. Correct. That's right. He can get out, but he can't re-enlarge. Um, it also freaked me out as a kid thinking about when they talked about, well, let's just expand him without extracting him out of Jack. I'm like, that's going to make a mess. I'm like, that's so gr- that that would have that, that that kind of disturbed me when I was when I was younger. Like, ooh, I don't recall. I don't recall thinking about that. I also recall uh, at the end when they half shrink the evil doctor and uh, <laughs> 50%. Yeah. Yes. I fucking love that shit, though. When they're in the back of the car, a lot of that was forced perspective. Yeah, it was. Yeah, they and you had can it. tell, but yeah. it looks cool. But it looks cool. Yeah. Like, it looks like it's it's off just a bit. But yeah, and that's it, why I think, what, right. I think that's what freaked me out about it when I was a kid. Yeah. But because, like, see, that's why Kevin McCarthy was a good B-movie villain, because he doesn't scare adults, but he scares the shit out of kids. Right. Uh, <laughs> so, love that guy. So, was there anything specific that you wrote down that didn't work or was that the why can't he go to the lungs and just get some more oxygen or something like that That, and i'll be honest with you man i don't care for dennis quaid in it i'm not really i'm not a big dennis quaid fan okay well that's all right then but if if, if you're not a quaid fan necessarily then that's the like it's like nothing bad about him uh he wasn't like Sometimes his personal preference is not necessarily. Yeah. He like, wasn't like casting Jim Carrey in the role or something. You know what I mean? He wasn't over the top or anything like right. that. Um, I don't know. Just, just no. Although you got to think about the fact that their son Jack Quaid owes like Joe Dante putting them together in the movie, sure. or he would not exist at this moment. Very possibly. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, Personally, I I really I don't have any I don't have any complaints about the film. I think the visual effects are quite incredible. They, still, they still hold up really for well. Thirty five years or yeah. so. Um, I'm still shocked how well they hold up and what they did when this was pre CGI stuff. Yeah. You know, uh, the scene where uh, Jack's fucking facial thing, uh, both the coming into looking like the cowboy and coming out of it. That's fucking great. Does it remind you of Total Recall? Totally. You know why? No, I didn't mean to say totally, but yeah. The totally, Total Recall. Rob Bottin did the special effects ah, for okay. this, and he did the visual effects for. I mean, the scene um, is similar. Recall. The scene is similar to begin with. the The, the idea is mm-hmm. similar, and then obviously the execution of it. No, I, oh, I was waiting for him to say two weeks. Two weeks. <laughs> but yeah, that was kind of creepy when you were a kid. Though, but yep. it was just like that is. Watching it now, you're like, that's fucking cool, though, because yeah. it's just... <laughs> yeah, I don't, know. I don't the, know how they did the it. The fucking people pass out, oh, my God, you <laughs> Kevin McCarthy's reactions are fucking hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I can't hold the facial facial things any longer, <laughs> and he just starts to lose it at the table, and it's just like, ah! <laughs> but what was fun is when I was watching something a bit behind the scenes, apparently... Um, Picardo was doing Martin Short doing Picardo as the cowboy. Like they did not do any. Um, Whoa! Fuck off! Yeah. That's not I don't ADR. Th- I don't think they did ADR on. Okay, like, I think they did it for one bit, 
at the very beginning okay. in order for you to realize that it was Martin Short that was there. But everything else is oh. him trying to be... Yeah, yes. it's Robert Picardo doing a broken... Uh, yes. Okay, yeah. You uh, you see uh, Josie Wales? What a flick. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's him trying to do... Martin Short trying to do that's Picardo's awesome. Cowboy. So that's why there's obviously that weird disconnect, but it's What's weirdly What's the song funny. he was singing, the cowboy? Something with the Rio Grande? Yeah. It's I'm a lone cowboy in the Rio Grande. He, two lines, and they had to credit that. They had to put that in the credits because it was probably from some Western CBS Jesus. TV show. Um, I thought that was weird. Weirdly funny that they actually had to do that for... Two lines that he's singing there. Hey, Jack, don't knock. Come on in. <laughs> what I love is you think like he's going to go in there and like bust the door down and he's going to have to knock this guy out. And it's like, oh, Lydia's just in the other room. I was in the other room. I'm like, you didn't have to come rescue me. Nothing, nothing happened. I just went away. I just, As I stand there in my, my underwear and boots with these metal studs on his crotch. As he pops open the bottle of champagne, yeah. I'm like, were you just celebrating with yourself, man? He was very excited that Jack showed up. I'll tell you that much. Come in. Come on in. <laughs> um, but I think like the – just – I think they keep the tone right for the movie and it works well. Sure. It it's, never gets too serious. It never no, gets it too doesn't. wacky. It does just the right balance. But um, for my either Magic Wand or Recast, I chose to recast. Um, and I had several names depending on the actor, and it was a little difficult. But I was like, "Who? Okay, so who would I put?" I'm like, "I got if you got to pick someone that's pretty much just sitting in a chair for eighty percent of the movie, but can still be charming." Stephen Hawking. <laughs> exactly. I thought Ryan Reynolds. Okay. You know, charming, good looking, kind of sarcastic, can kind of pull that off. Uh, for Jack Putter, it was really difficult. At first, and I was like, I went through several different things, and it's like I watched um, The Flash not too long ago, and I thought Ezra Miller might work well in the Jack Putter role, just in general, not between prison sentences. Correct, correct. Uh, But I also thought Michael Sarah might have worked in the weirdly uncomfortable role. For Lydia Maxwell, I initially went with Emma Stone. Sure. Um, I kind of thought, depending on the time frame, Amy Adams would have worked as well. The two, um, the two villains was kind of difficult for Victor uh, Scrimshaw and Doctor Canker. I just like um, Tommy Lee Jones and Helen Mirren <laughs> could kind of work. It'd be weird. Yeah, I don't think it would be as funny, but I think that they could pull it off. No, uh, Mister Igo, I went with. Uh, <laughs> I either went with Adam Driver or Jesse Plemons. Who's Jesse Plemons? Um, if you ever watched Breaking Bad, he plays. Oh, yeah. And kid. he's been in some other stuff. Um, but And then for the cowboy, I picked Bill Hader. <laughs> Bill Hader would have worked. And initially, I thought Bill Hader might have also worked well as a good Jack Putter. I think he'd be a better Jack Putter. I think you're right. But I couldn't think of anybody else for the cowboy, so I just moved him down that way. So a little background on... Oh, we'll go kind of go into the trivia and a little background on inner space and why it flopped. And I kind of pulled some of this from a slash film article, but apparently in 2012, they UCLA's um, Association of Mo- uh, Movie Archivists student chapter they do a they do a double feature. They do some type of um, film festival called Something Old 
something new. And so they paired it at the New Beverly Cinema, the theater that Tarantino owns, and they paired it with The Incredible Shrinking Man and Inner Space. So they put those two together, and apparently Joe Dante was in attendance. And so they Sweet. they asked him to come and talk about making the movie and his experiences with that at the end. And so while he shared his experiences, he's saying that Inner Space got one of the best previews ever in a test screening for Warner Brothers, which caused the studio executives to be high-fiving each other. And so thinking that they had a massive hit on their hands. In fact, they were so convinced that they didn't think it needed any advertising as a result. Huh. I guess that's not very good marketing by thinking, this is so good, let's not market it, it's going to make a bunch of money. I think that they were probably banking on the fact that it just had Steven Spielberg's name sure. on it and like, well, it did well with Back to the Future and Goonies and you did you know, Gremlins or whatever. We don't need to advertise this. You know, I think they kind of probably needed to. Yeah. Um, so while, huh. And uh, apparently while Martin Short is a household name now, there is a little known fact that Hollywood really didn't know what to do with him back in the mid-80s. Correct. And so outside of his appearance in The Three Amigos, even in 1987, he was relatively unknown to most U.S. audiences. And so unless you were familiar with sketch comedy, SCTV, or you were not American and you were actually Canadian, <laughs> you know? Which that's, that's where I knew him from was SN yeah. SNL. Yeah. And probably Three Amigos. Um, so the character of Jack Putter was actually a perfect fit for short, and the chemistry he had with Quaid was undeniable and even – they only appeared on screen together at the very end. So when the new screenwriter, Jeffrey Bohm, who wrote several movies, including Last Crusade, you see, he came aboard. Dante described his rewrite as Dean Martin being shrunken and then injected into Jerry Lewis, which that that's, concept at that time. Oh, yeah. that's good. And so uh, so Quaid balances the, the manic energy with a common collective performance that also showcases his explosive side. When things get tense as he navigates his way through Short's body. So after he was cast, Dante recalls one lunch meeting in particular where Warner Brothers executives referred to Martin Short as not very attractive and that they maybe need to recast with a Dennis Quaid type. <laughs> Dante snapped back and said, did you even read the script? And so the lack of studio support may have also caused some insecurity with Short, who Dante said liked doing many takes and did a lot of improvisation. Yeah. And so when the box office numbers came in over the holiday weekend, Dan Aykroyd's Dragnet, another 50s throwback, won the top spot that weekend, <clears throat> weirdly enough. That movie just seemed odd for it to be huh. number one. So, in fact, Interspace, its highest ranking was third place. Next to Dragnet and what? I don't know what the second movie was. I'd have to go back in and look. Um, and so Dante had told the audiences at the New Beverly back in 2012 how Warner Brothers just didn't know how to promote the film. In fact, the original poster failed to include any of the actors on it at all. Really? Uh-huh. And so all it is is just like this. If you look at the original poster, it's like a, a finger and thumb, like index finger and thumb. And then really tiny is the little pod and a guy standing next to it. Um, and so I guess they assumed that Steven Spielberg presents uh, before the title was the only thing they needed for it to succeed. Huh. And I guess that was not the case. you know. And so in what must have been a triumph and to the trials and tribulations of working on Interspace, the film went on to actually win the Oscar for Best Visual Effects. 
And it says here, even Roger Ebert was tricked by the incredible images on screen and thought the red blood cells featured in the finished film were actually real. According to the breakdown at the event at the New Beverly Cinema, Joe Dante said that he had the distinct pleasure of telling one of the nation's top movie critics that it was all just a bit of technical wizardry. (laughs) Um, So... (laughs) Number one on on trivia is the first thing. It says special effects credited at the end of the movie state Mr. Short's interiors by Industrial Light and Magic. (laughs) (laughs) After the rewrite, uh, the film was reworked as a sci-fi comedy. The project was originally offered to uh, Robert Zemeckis. Zemeckis didn't want to make it, so Spielberg then offered it to Joe Dante, who accepted. Did Zemeckis not then make Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? No, Zemeckis did not do Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Okay. I think it was Joe Johnson or something like that. But uh, after Back to the Future, I can't remember the exact next movie he did or if he ended up doing Back to Back 2 and 3 for Back to the Future because 89 and 90 were Back to the Future 2 and 3. When did he so, do Roger Rabbit? Oh, that's what he did. Yeah. Roger Rabbit. I was say it been Man, Roger there Rabbit. it is. Roger Rabbit. Um, this is the only film directed by Joe Dante to win an Academy Award for Best Visual. <laughs> Many people say that Thelma Louise had the first selfie uh, in the movie, but rightly before Tuck Pendleton is shrunk, shrunk he actually uh, takes the Polaroid, Polaroid and takes a picture of himself. But apparently even before that, Clark Griswold does the same thing in European Vacation. Yep. Uh, when Jack is making his way to the mirror so Pendleton can have a look at his face, you hear a hiccup because he's drunk. Uh-huh. Um, apparently that hiccup was recorded by Mel Blanc. Nice. Which is a trademark of Joe Dante because he uses apparently several sound effects and bits from other Warner Brothers Looney Tunes cartoons in oh, this movie. he's got access to them, right? Correct. <laughs> Um, at one point, John Carpenter was attached to direct this movie. It'd have a different tone. Oh, you think? Sure. But I could see it. Maybe, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying no to it, but one it's... One night only. Yeah. One night only. John Carpenter's Interspace. Interspace. <laughs> um, and the face changes, like I said before, the sequences in which Tuck transforms into Jack, from Jack to the Cowboy and Cowboy back into Jack. We're all achieved by animatronics provided by Rob Bottin. And so that's why all of that shit looks so similar to the shit that you see three years later in Total say, Recall. Which is just three years later. Yeah. In um, some casting what-ifs, Mel Gibson and Robin Williams were both considered for the part of Jack Putter. Mel Gibson? Uh, 87. Um, yeah. He really hit the scene in 87 with Le- uh, Lethal Weapon, so it's, I don't know. It'd be weird. I can see why, yeah. they, can, I can see why they consider Robin Williams. Um, however, the list of female leads for the Lydia character are long. Jodie Foster, Michelle Pfeiffer, Karen Allen, Beverly, Beverly D'Angelo, Sigourney Weaver, Jamie Lee Curtis, Mary Elizabeth, Master Antonio, Linda Hamilton, Renee Russo, Julie Roberts, Elizabeth Shue, Shue Claudia Wells, Angelica Houston, Demi Moore, Sean Young, Ali Sheedy, Molly Ringwald, Amy Madigan, and Madeline Stowe were all considered for Lydia. Jesus. They just went down the list of... I was going to say, was, who was, do we got? Was Cher not in town that weekend? Correct. She was already filming. Her schedule was busy. She was already filming uh, Moonstruck. 
Okay. So does it hold up in your final thoughts? I, honestly, I, I, like I said, I don't hate this movie, but I don't... You don't gravitate towards it. No, but I don't care for it. Yeah. Uh, but I think it still holds up. Yeah. Uh, as <clears throat> If I were to take this to like Brock's kid and be like, dude, you want to watch like a fun like 80s goofy movie? Yeah. And you preface it by... It's not even goofy. No. If you, an 80s sci-fi comedy. Yeah, it is a sci-fi comedy. Uh, and you take it as that. Yeah, cool. There's no like, there's no franchise to it. There's no, no like toys. They so lead into what could have been a sequel, but they didn't. Because the end, yeah. you realize that the cowboy is there. He's driving the limo with the two yeah. right after they get married. And but for and the shrunken like <laughs> Kevin McCarthy and what, what's her oh, name yeah. are yeah. there in the briefcase. Um, so you know some shit could go down into a sequel, but they never do it, and I love how they end it that way. I I, I don't know what it didn't, why it didn't stick with me as as a kid. Yeah, this is like this could be one of those. That this you, should have been in your your wheelhouse. Yeah, you yeah. would think most yeah. people that know me would think, but for some reason it's not. But for the like you said, the visual obviously the visual effects are fucking mint because they fucking won an Oscar for him. They still hold up really well. Uh, and I legitimately, like like I said, I hadn't seen it in so long that it was like seeing an, uh, a new almost, movie. Almost. Like a new but movie. But there were yeah. some scenes where I I legitimately laughed like, yeah. out loud, like the uh, I'm possessed thing. Yeah, that's great. Um, I love that. That was probably my other f- like favorite scene is that one. Yeah. I like when he's having the conversation with Tuck when he's driving his uh, fucking cherry convertible Mustang. Yeah. Oh, my God. That car is beautiful. Yeah. Um, and when he's talking to him, he's like, "It's just no pain. I don't want any pain. I don't want you to sit there and go, oh, oops, sorry, I severed your spinal cord. Oops. <laughs> like, I love that exchange. Like, please, man, I just don't, please don't hurt me while you're in there. I would really appreciate it. <laughs> and it's just like that exchange is just so funny and it's just so like real. Like, I would kind of be thinking the same thing. Like, yeah. But I also like how Martin Short is like, you're in there and you're seeing this and that. I'm like, you're you're, you're describing your body as like outer space and it's kind of funny in that yeah, reference yeah. but yeah. it's like i would never look at it like that but okay it's uh it's got all the earmarks of what what you could consider a fun movie i think it is um just not just gotta watch it again maybe i, I could it's okay i could see myself coming back to it at some point right because um, it's joe dante yeah and and you know most for, of his are hits even when they were misses they're if still for no other hit. reason than it being a joe dante movie it still yeah. holds up so, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I look at this one differently. Um, this is probably my personal favorite Joe Dante film. Oh, wow. Um, likely due to the fact that I saw it at the age of 11 before I actually knew who Joe Dante was. Um, a very close second is The Burbs, but this one probably ooches out just in front for no other reason than nostalgia. Um, the film has that perfect blend of fantastical science fiction, comedy, along with some action and adventure. Uh, it doesn't take itself too seriously, but there is the threat. You know, there is some urgency. There has to be stake. You yeah. know, oh, you know, I love, you know, I, I love the scene where he goes down the stairs like Tuck's going to give me the strength of ten men, and then he knocks the dude out, and then he realizes that he's been in in Lydia the entire yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, she he gets back up. Oh shit! Hello, Mister Killer. <laughs> <laughs> but um. I think it's the perfect view. I thought this was the perfect vehicle for Joe Dante, and I'm glad it garnered the kind of the cult status that it generated because there are a lot of movies that, especially in the 80s, that are considered 
relatively in high regards, so like, oh, that's really good. And then you go back to look and like I bombed it, you know, at, at the box office. It didn't do well. There and was this weird – It had a, a lot of these movies had the second life in video. rental, in yeah. video. Like and now you, you're not going to get that as much now. No. That – there <sighs> – People were ahead of their time with some stuff in the 80s, mm-hmm. and audiences were not ready for anything being ahead of its time. Yeah. Like I feel like partly because of the internet, or maybe largely because of the internet, there's more of an audience of people that are willing to watch something ahead of its time. I'm not saying Interspace was ahead of its time. Right. But It's a high concept movie. Uh, in that matter. Sure. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. Uh Honestly, dude, it's just a B movie with a budget. Yeah, it's a B movie with a budget and, that should have done better, but it didn't. But had, and, has grown in reputation. Yeah. So and I just I think the internet allowing people that like me, yeah, that like weird off the wall shit. I don't even say off the wall, but sometimes culty yeah. shit or whatever uh, things are able to get off the ground a little easier today. Yeah. They have a second uh, life. Yeah, or yeah. or they yeah, or they get a second life. Yeah, but it was the perfect vehicle for him to do because it's definitely it is a B movie with a budget, and there's no better way than hey, you know what? Perfect person for this is probably Joe Dante. Well, well, he he's a Roger Coleman, uh, Roger Corman alum. Yeah. Let's let's get him. So remember that Gremlins thing? Yeah, yeah, he yeah did let's that. do that. Um, is that all you got? Yeah, let's watch a trailer. About a movie about B-movies. He came to the ends of the earth. Aren't you that guy that makes them scary movies? Just as the earth was about to end. The country is on red alert. What a perfect time to open a new horror movie. The whole world's going to blow up anyway, so we should just do whatever we want. Looks so real. From the director of Gremlins. Wait till you see the feelers on this thing. John Goodman. I love this business. Matinee. Rated PG. Starts Friday, January 29th at theaters everywhere. Okay, so we talked about doing this episode a while back. uh, And we thought we would do a Joe Dante pair. Right. And uh, I don't know if you suggested Interspace first or how we got around to it. Well, we kind of talked about the possibility. Because you said you had watched Honey, I Shrunk the Kids not too terribly long ago for some reason. I was just over a year ago. Okay, and that's what we were talking about was pairing Interspace with Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Mm, Which... mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Would have been a good pairing. Sure. But we also wanted to get a couple of Joe Dante movies in, and I don't know if we ever thought about what we would have paired Matinee with or Ed not. Wood. No, very true. That would have been perfect. <laughs> and you, if I remember, hadn't seen Matinee before. Correct. Oh, wow. Okay. This was a first time. I remember. So this came out in uh, on my wife's birthday in 1993. Yeah. So I would have been uh, in. Your wife was born in 1993? She was. She's 31 years old. Uh, Let's see. I would have been in sixth grade, right? Yes, I would have been in sixth grade when this came out. I don't think I saw it in the theater. Um, Oh, I sure. (laughs) Which would have been... You already know my answer. I definitely didn't. I saw it on a 42-inch plasma. Uh, I saw this. What got me about this was that title card. Of the movie theater with the mantis legs coming over it, and then John Matt, uh, John Matinee, John Goodman, <laughs> John Goodman his, with that big fucking. His name is now John Matinee. That'd be that's a good name. Him over the top of it like a fucking carnival barker. Yeah, that 
poster just fucking sells it. And I was, I just remember being at the video store because I, it probably wasn't in theaters very long. Um, well, that's what happens when you dump a movie in, in January, January yeah. is, is you don't know what to do, but you got to make some money. So you got to release it. Um, but that, that poster grabbed me and I would have seen this on VHS and I was, I fucking love this movie. Um, now I hadn't seen it in, it's been a minute. It's been, it'd been a minute. Um, I love, I, everybody knows I love B movies and then movies about B movies. A lot of people say that this movie has the best movie within a movie. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And you can watch that on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You can watch the straight thing, everything that they shot because they shot it. Yeah. And they and they purposefully shot that shit in black and white. They said they could have shot it in color and then changed the color coding, and yep. they just, they actually got like an old school like DP that did those black and white noir shit. Awesome, yeah. Um, I'm not doing your trivia specifically, it's but not I in my do. Trivia. But I do remember uh, reading about that um, that they purposefully shot it in black and white. I was hoping that it was going to show more than what they actually showed in the movie Does because it not? I no, it doesn't. I was hoping to hit where they got where the um, the bomb goes off because uh-huh. they had to get the scare the kids out, everybody out of the theater because the, the balcony is about to collapse. And so, and so he goes, well, it's, we got to ramp some shit up <laughs> a little early to get everybody out. And I wanted to see what was leading to that scene. And you didn't oh, get that. And I'm okay. like, damn it. I wanted to know what they were going to lead to that scene. They didn't get to that because they didn't film that, but they f- filmed a full reel. So they wanted to be able to project something while they were filming the kids in the theater. That's awesome. What, it, how long is it real? Thirty minutes? Uh, not even that. It's maybe fifteen. Okay. Um, Kathy Moriarty, dude. <laughs> I don't know what ever happened to her. She is a six foot tall pile of sex. <laughs> right. I think the first thing I it's saw. Like, her it's in, almost like she was born in the wrong decade for the yeah, types of movies that she would have been cast for. She is a for. full on forties bombshell. Correct, but. She takes that acerbic, you know, like in the 40s, the yeah. women would say something back to you like, tell your story, walking, buddy. Mm-hmm. But she's a little more acidic yeah, with how absolutely. she says it. I think the first thing I saw her in would have been Raging Bull. That's right. Well, the first thing she, she was, was in was Raging Bull. The she, first thing I saw her in was... I forgot that that's what... That's where this? I remember her more than anything else. She, she was like this teen bride. Jake LaMotta's wife, right? Teen, a yeah. Young, yeah, young yeah. wife. Yeah. But man, I've always liked her. Uh, just something about her. I love how here again you get Dick Miller, you get Robert Picardo, you even get uh, John Sayles, who had written a couple of um, B movies. Well, yeah, he had done stuff for Corman, and yeah. he had specifically, I think, he had written either part of or all of Howling as well as Piranha. Nice. And so, and I think he has an acting role in the Howling as well. And so John Sayles, again, an alum for Roger Corman. Yeah. He got, um, he kind of – he shifts up into uh, like fourth or fifth gear with his B-moviness. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you'd have to with this. With this one here, um, yeah. Um, but I love how <laughs> – I, I love how it was so subversive for them to push the promotion of the movie is and i'm sure that they did this to to a degree is to have the people standing out protesting against the movie oh i'm sure they to did to get 
people interested in it because of whatever reason being. Yeah. And I just I love how they decided to have Dick Miller and John Sales be those two dudes. Yeah, they're, and they're not who you think they are, and they're actually probably a couple of tough guys. Uh, they're this part of the huckster nature of. It's kind of like how pro wrestling was. They would travel around the towns and like whip up people, the marks, you know. Right. They would work the marks before the event even happened, so that yeah. they were already pissed and rooting against the guy when the when the match started. It's, like I said, Carnival Barker earlier. Right. It's, it's, it's part of that. I just fucking love it. It's it's yeah. like low working class yeah. entertainment industry. Like you don't have money to throw at it, so you have to get creative. You right. Know? It is surprising to me, though, even with this movie being released in 1993, uh, that they were still making PG movies. <laughs> Yeah. Now you hardly can find movies that are PG. Everything's got to be PG-13 or R, because if it's not PG-13, it's probably not just enough risque enough to interest anybody to see it. And so it's weird, even I in 93, that they were still doing PG movies. Yeah. And you know what? For years, uh, I have been trying to figure out what the period piece movie is where the kids are listening to the Lenny Bruce record. Right. <laughs> and this started to play, and I was like... Fuck, I think it's this. And I was like, oh, it is. And it's like this this scene that I've been trying to figure out. I probably could have Googled it, but not as fun. Right. But I, I wouldn't have told you it was in a, a Joe Dante movie. No. I thought it was in something a little more naughty. And what I, what was funny, too, is listening to it and he out and was it tits and ass and tits and ass. Tits and ass and ass and tits and tits and ass. And that's and I'm I'm trying to think about this now. It's like what would have been the equivalent? Of listening to Lenny Bruce in the early 60s to what it would have been us in like late 80s. And I'm thinking either Richard Pryor or Carlin. Carlin. <laughs> the only other thing I wrote Actually, down. Actually, I'll tell you who the equivalent would be, but you go ahead. <laughs> who? Andrew Dice Clay. That's what I wrote down here. I said, I remember a couple of kids in my class having a copy of Andrew Dice Clay, an Andrew Dice Clay tape, but he definitely doesn't carry the same weight as what Lenny Bruce did. No. <laughs> Lenny Bruce, not that funny. No. His delivery is like Carlin's delivery. Some of Carlin's delivery comes from Lenny Bruce. Right. Um, and his subversive, you know. But he broke a lot of rules. He that, broke all the rules yeah. so the rest of us didn't have to. Yeah. So for that reason, I love Lenny Bruce. But He paved the way. Um, it's interesting watching how he's portrayed, if you ever watch The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And Jamie does. And so her being a female comic... And being in the early, like late 50s and then early 60s New York, and her having interactions with Lenny Bruce in that show is. Who plays quite, it? I can't remember the name of the actor. He's been in some things, but he's not a big name. But he pulls off the style, the delivery, everything that nice. was him. Um, uh, I wonder how much. The movie promoters did stuff like this in the fifties and sixties. Oh, now think, they were. They, I think. I think all the time. Okay. I mean, it's it amazes me. Now I think they were a little late. I think, and they said it purposefully. Like they chose to do it in nineteen sixty two in Key West during the Cuban Missile Crisis to make the extra effort of some paranoia that's going on at the time. Sure. Um, they weren't. I think Dante had said that they weren't really doing the monster promotion stuff by 1962. No, not it was, like, it's more, 50s. but it was very fifties. But like, 
how many theaters would people like that would these types of promoters get in there and like they had like he had a manual like they had an interview with him on the blu-ray it's like he had a manual like i can't can't believe like i'd need a degree in order to set some of this stuff up and this is from the 50s that they were putting in seats to you know shock rumble 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 rama (laughs) The Atomo Vision. <laughs> what would have made it a little more fun is if Lawrence Woolsey's or John Goodman's character, mm-hmm. if he was like the last of one of these, the last hurrah. Like, yeah, yeah, and he's still trying to he's still trying to do it, and he you know it might have been a little much to add into a Dante movie, but um, I think it would have worked. But. Like the one of the other notes I wrote down here, like we already discussed it before. Movies that got released typically in January and February were we just got to get them off our books and we're going to see if maybe we'll make some money. I don't know, but we don't have a lot of faith in this, but we got to release it right January, February, most of the time. And I think September is often another one because by September, all the kids are in school. So it's just, did they not know how to? market this movie this movie seemed like it would have been difficult to market for the year that it was made it's just pretty niche man it is very niche Uh, i give them chutzpah for uh i give them props for the chutzpah for for doing it yeah um because a year later tim burton would do it and make a oscar-winning hit out of it yeah that's very true with ed wood now ed wood's more of a biopic it is but but it's still a movie about about bad movies yeah actually it's a movie about a guy making bad movies (laughs) While wearing Angora sweaters. I do love the tongue-in-cheek humor that seeps through the movie within a movie, Mant. Like, just how they're delivering everything. It's so purposeful. And they said that most of the dialogue that they were writing and putting in it were from other yeah. 50s B-monster movies. Yep. And so, but just how they land it, it's just so on the nose. Do you watch, have you watched a lot of those old? I've watched enough. Those, the, my not, favorite guy in Mant is the doctor that he's doctor exposition yes it's not his name but he's there but he comes in and explains something and then tells you what it means in layman's terms yes nathan we're gonna he's the dentist nathan we're gonna edit this podcast at an accelerated or speed it up rate (laughs) i don't know if you know this but but each one gets increasingly more like on the nose we did the x-rays for you had no cavities Yeah, that guy was. Yeah, my mom, my man. I don't know. I don't know. No, I'm talking. I'm not talking about the dentist that turns into the man. I'm talking about the. He's some nuclear physicist or something. He's the guy. He's the guy that always explains what's going on. You're talking about. But he says the word and then explains what the word means. Because they would always do that. Um, What's your two sentence summary? John Goodman plays a shameless movie promoter with a heart of gold who purposefully decides to push his latest creature feature, Mant, down in Key West, Florida during the height of the Cuban Missile Crisis. That's I could not come up with anything not, even remotely funny. It's just a it's a brief summary of <laughs> of what you would read on the box pop possibly. So I couldn't do it with this one. It just nothing was landing. So I just went. I'm that's just how I was. Go with, that's I'm how, going straight. That's how I was. One. That's how I was with Interspace. Like the movie is so 
quirky enough that right. I can't really make fun I'll of it. I'll be honest with you, though. Was, since this was the like, – like, how old were you? I was 47 years old. <laughs> I watched this a week ago. I hardly remember this movie coming out in 93, if I'm being completely honest. But I'll tell you one thing. I thought he was going to be a sleazeball in the movie. Yeah. And he isn't. No. He's super genuine and a nice dude. He's like a movie. He's a bit of a shameless promoter. Not bit. He is a shameless promoter, yeah. but he's got a heart of cold. But I, but I was afraid he was just going to be a, a sleaze. Lecherous ass yes, grabber. Correct. The little, um, I want to say relationship, but the mentorship that he takes over on uh, Gene. Yes. Uh, just, it's a little like improbable correct but it's also a fucking movie and it fucking works it fucking works great like yeah. that's my favorite scene actually if you want to go here hold on i don't think anybody recognized her what do you spend your whole life sitting in monster movies a lot yeah somebody like herb or vincent price or someone i thought they were my friends that's a strange group what are your real friends like i don't have too many my dad's in the navy so we move all the time Oh, 500 new kids a year? That's scary. I remember the one time we moved. Now, this was to the big town, Hatfield, Missouri. I was petrified of those guys. Really? Oh, yeah. But see, now uh, I get my revenge. I get to scare everybody else. But it's for their own good. See, people that go like this at the scary parts, they're not getting the whole benefit. you got to keep your eyes open. What's the benefit? Okay, like... Uh, a zillion years ago, a guy's living in the cave. He goes out one day, bam, he gets chased by a mammoth. Now, he's scared to death, but he gets away. And when it's all over with, he feels great. Well, yeah, because he's still living. Yeah, but he knows he is, and he feels it. So he goes home, back to the cave. First thing he does, he does a drawing of the mammoth. And he thinks, people are coming to see this. Let's make it good. Let's make the teeth real long and the eyes real mean. Boom. The first monster movie. That's probably why I still do it. Make the teeth as big as you want, then you kill it off, everything's okay, the lights come up. You see, the people come into your cave with a 200-year-old carpet, the guy tears your ticket in half. It's too late to turn back now. Water fountain's all booby-trapped and ready. That stuff laid out on the candy counter. Then you come over here to where it's dark. It could be anything in there. And you say... Here I am. What have you got for me? That's a good scene. I love how... Just like... At first it was... My favorite was him talking about... Well, the first scary movie, the first monster movie was... You know, a caveman that, you know, a Neanderthal running in and escaping from a woolly mammoth. And then you get the bit of the animation while he's describing that it. Bit, that scene had its whole had a whole separate director and everything. Oh, yeah? Because it was like an animation and all that. Oh, I, I believe that. That would yeah. make sense. But I just love that. But then I also love him guiding him into the theater. And it's just like that's the fun experience of going to the movie. It used to it's, be, yeah. It used to be. It's not like it, it was before. No is escaping for two hours and it's like tell me your story scare me some you know or whatever but part of that is the reason why people like to watch some of those types of movies too is just i love that adrenaline rush and everything you know yeah. and it's 
and he nails that. And I just I never looked at cave drawings as being the first monster movie, and I think that's, that's a great. brilliant concept. The other favorite line is it goes from Mant to a kid in the theater is when he goes, he's not a monster, he's a shoe salesman. <laughs> general goes, would you let that fit you in a pump? And then the kid goes, a real general wouldn't say that. <laughs> and I just love the, come on, man, there's no way a general would have said that. And like, <clears throat> really, would a kid have said that in the movie? Nah, maybe, I don't know. But it's just the, the but that's, juxtaposition of That's of the that, mystery science theater of it right. all. Like the peanuts gallery, yeah. Uh, or, yeah, peanut gallery of you go you want to watch the movie but you also want to take the piss a little bit correct that's the you could really tell that joe dante was sending a love letter with this movie. absolutely my favorite scene is uh it's really that <coughs> excuse me it's that whole sequence of when the shit's hitting the fan up in the theater with the rumble rama right and the movie theater manager thinks that they're dropping the bombs and then he <laughs> yeah picardo yeah <laughs> then he sets in motion the Time lock. On yeah, that. on the on the fallout shelter. So Gene and uh, Robin Williams' daughter from Mrs. Doubtfire are getting locked into the fallout shelter. But then the movie theater is falling down around them upstairs. Correct. It's a not quite a De Palma esque cut back and forth, but it does a but really good. It's job. a really nice. It, it, I won't say tense, but it adds some. It does. It well, adds some for tension. Me seeing it the first time, I was just like, "Holy shit! Are these kids going to get stuck in here? How are they going to get That's out?" That's right. It was it's your what, first time seeing it. Yeah, it was my first time seeing it. I was like, "Are these kids going to get stuck in here? This is going to be oddly tense for this type of movie that it's yeah. supposed to be." But just the right amount. Just the right amount, and then Goodman comes in. He's got a, who's got a crowbar around here? He's like, <laughs> "I'm in the wrong business." And my thought process is, is "Holy shit! He's going to get him out of this, this fucking." Uh, Fallout shelter. Fallout shelter. And he does. You see the door just go gong fall down and it's just I'm in the wrong business. <laughs> yeah. That's that's my favorite scene. And it's kind of funny too because I not too terribly long ago I watched a couple episodes of Quantum Leap with my parents and one is towards the end of season three where they're down in Florida and he's wow. and he's uh he's playing the keys in the body of the kid brother selling the fallout shelters during the Cuban Missile Crisis, and it was just an odd, weird co- uh, coincidence that I watched that, and then oh, uh, right. two weeks later, I'm watching another movie about Cuban. Missile well, I mean, crisis. this is a Boomerama movie as well. Yeah. Like, oh, it was, absolutely. It was Boomer porn before they were really old enough to really. I don't. I, I don't think you could show this to a group of boomers now, and they would like it. They might. They might. But, I could probably show this to my parents. They'd probably enjoy it. But it was interesting getting my mom's uh, thought process on that with the raids. Not the raids, but like the, the air, air raids. Sorry, the air raids. And, you know, duck and cover. You know, like, we duck and cover because of earthquakes. We did they because duck, of tornadoes. Yeah, they duck and cover because they thought putting their hands over their necks were going to protect them from nuclear <laughs> blast. Like, really? And I love how there's like the big you know pointing their finger right at it going this is some bullshit with the kid who gets in trouble the girl who gets in trouble because this was not going to do anything but they didn't know any better and i remember my mom saying that would scare the shit out of me every time we had to do that i'll bet like this no go in the hallway and cover your neck like this so that the corpses will all look the same so that we know that it's a corpse although my mom wouldn't say it was scared the shit out of her but it scared her to death i meant to call my mom and ask her like I mean, I, I don't. Like know. I would have nightmares. Maybe like, they oh. did to their in their way, but I feel like we live in this constant malaise of not fear these days, but just 
constant malaise of fear these days. Yeah. The war going on over with Ukraine and Russia, and then the planet's on fire. Yeah, the planet's on fire, or there's a hurricane in Los Angeles. And there's, <laughs> yeah. And there's, like, riots. it doesn't not happen, but it's very rare. But all they had to be afraid of was nuclear annihilation. Right. Um, so, like, what that must have been like living during that, I can, I can think that it's probably similar to if you'd done some shit like this during 9 11. Yeah. Okay. Which I think if they were going to make this That's, today, they might. That would be the same kind of. I, th- I think. Yeah. To a, to a point. To a point. Um, what doesn't work with this movie um, <clears throat> for you? It's not a real. It's not a real laugh out loud movie. No. It's a fun movie. Um It's it's got a few moments where I chuckled out loud, just like Inner Space. You get more laughs in the last hour than you do yeah. the first forty minutes. And I kind of remembered this being a little funnier uh, than it is. It's not that it's not funny; it's not Burbs funny to me. No, and that's what I remember. It's it definitely being. on the light end of the spectrum when um, it comes to comedy and Joe Dante. But again. Whatever it's a it's a fun it's movie. It's a more cutesy fun. But what I think humorous. what what super doesn't work is other than John Goodman, no one's really in it. The cast isn't <laughs> stacked. The most identifiable kid out of all of them was Kelly Martin, I think, who kind of did some more TV. One of the girls that they were interested in, like uh, the two things that I wrote down here is like the one that's dating one, Harvey Starkweather, right? Um, what doesn't work for me was I, I thought the film drug quite a bit the first thirty minutes. Um, it's a little low. It's a little slow getting. Set it up. does not really start to pick up until Lawrence Woolsey arrives uh, in town and has his long conversation with Gene Loomis, and then things start to ramp up once the movie starts, the matinee starts. But additionally, I don't think the two boys that they cast as Gene and Stan were very compelling. The, they were fine. The little brother, yeah. The two, no, the two older kids. Like oh, the older brother, and then the other, like, the, the guy, the that's blonde in, uh, and the brown headed kid. He, he's in uh, some show on Hulu. They may be, but um, they feel to me more like they're background characters on a TGI Friday TV show that got the starring role, yep. like as an opportunity. Exactly. I agree. Um, they just they don't sell it. To me, no, ninety-three. I feel like they could have been. There could have been better, but they were fine. It's just they, eh, they were. They're were all right. Yeah, they were all right. They weren't good. Correct. I, I don't think putting a bunch of names in it would have been good. That's not Dante. No, that's. But not. I mean, fuck. He had Quaid, Meg Ryan, and dude. Uh, in Explorers, he had River Phoenix, and he had Ethan Hawke as two of his three boy leads in yeah. that movie. Yeah. And so there's just... Could have gotten another... The opportunity. Yeah. That was just... That was 85. This that is kid, 93. The, the kid that plays Gene is like... He's good. He's fine. He's British, apparently. No shit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he just never seems to shift into like third gear or out of third gear. Yeah. He just... It doesn't completely connect for me. Yep. Personally. But my biggest complaint, which was what led me into my magic wand, was I'd recut the movie and probably take out a good 10 minutes and add more Goodman in the first 30, 35 minutes. Okay. I just felt like it was missing, and there was not a lot of humor in that first 30 minutes either. It just felt like a family movie. And so I was a little pissed. At first, when I got this, I was like, good God, am I going to like this movie? Because I'm not liking it for the first 30 minutes. Like... 
it's just felt like eh. But once things ramped up and the matinee started, and you had you know fifty minutes an hour left, and then it it fire it starts to fire on all cylinders, yeah. and then it works. I think it's got it's got to take its time to. They almost try to say too much in the first thirty they minutes. Do. Like this kid's a not a loner. He's a fucking nerd. He's yeah. he's a he he's probably he's movies. probably Joe Dante. Yeah, and he's dragging his kid brother to and all these movies. He likes the monster problems. movies because his dad's in the Navy. His dad's in the Navy during the Cuban Missile Crisis, so his dad's not home. They move around a lot, so he's a lonely kid. But he seems to be adjusted to it. He's okay. He's not sad he about goes it. Goes to a lot. Oh, of by the way, this guy is the uh, carnival barking huckster movie guy that's coming to town to. To hawk the shit that this happens to be this guy's favorite. They just have a lot to set up. They do. And they set it up well. Yeah. They, I just feel like they keep going like, hey, just get one more minute. Let me just say one more thing. Yeah. I'll set this up. And then I promise we'll... Uh, we'll get to Mant. Yep. We'll get <laughs> to Mant. Boy, do they. Did you have a magic wand or a recast? Yeah. <laughs> Go full fucking dark and Khrushchev says, fuck it. And just launches the nukes. <laughs> alternate history yeah slightly alternate history <laughs> so the and the theater doesn't fall apart like <laughs> the thing is actually happening uh the rumbles make the dude think their bombs are happening gene and lisa jacobs character i cannot remember her name they get stuck in there during a nuclear fucking attack and they they come out what eight months later or some shit yeah uh, however long and <laughs> the, the waste is. the wasteland that used to be florida but everybody else upstairs at least got to see the end of Mant. Like, what's with all the skeletons? Um, I don't have a ton of trivia. I read. Through I would it. imagine there's probably not a lot. It there was, but it wasn't. It didn't. It didn't meet our criteria. Right. Um, so in her memoir, the girl that uh, Lisa Jacob that was in Mrs. Doubtfire. Right. Um, this, that dude was her first kiss. Really. Yep. His name was Simon Fenton, uh, and he did not like her. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't say why, but it, she said it made shooting the five takes of the kiss very awkward and uncomfortable. I'll bet. Um, did you catch uh, Naomi Watts? Yes, that was. Her the, was it? It had to do with a runaway shopping cart or the, something. It was a parody of like shitty Disney movies. Yes, so it was like a possessed, not possessed, but the spirit of her father or uncle was in the shopping cart. It was right. called the Shook Up Shopping Cart. Yes, uh, that was her first uh, U.S. screen. Really? Yeah, okay. Piece. Yep. It almost threw me off. I was like, "Hold on!" And I kind of backed it up and went, "Is that who I think that is?" Yeah, I had to. I had to really look. Um, that was the biggest star that came out of this movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, the kid that plays Harvey Starkweather is named after Charles Starkweather, who was a serial killer who murdered eleven people between December fifty-seven and January fifty-eight. Did they name the Loomis kid the, the family Loomis for possibly Loomis from uh, Doctor Loomis? Doesn't say <laughs> from Halloween. But- um, we will maybe wonder if it, that was the case. Uh, when Lawrence Woolsey first appears in real life, he's at a gas station or a bait shop or slash bait shop uh, where regular grade gasoline was selling for. Did you see how much it was selling for? Uh, no. Was 24 it, I was about to say 25 cents was going to be my guess. I was. <laughs> Do you know what that equates to in 2022 money? What's that? Uh, 20, uh, 25, basically 25 cents per gallon uh, in 1963 equals $2.44 in 2022 money. Yeah, we're at three so, something. Yeah. We're, we're ooching closer uh, to the did you watch? Right did you watch all the way through the credits? They do a little post-credits thing in no. there. No. Did I miss it? It's real quick. It's just another scene from Mant where she goes, oh, Bill. It's just, an, it's just a 
Maybe I did, but I just forgot. Because I watched all the credits. Because normally those credits don't go on for very long. No. That's really all I had for trivia. They, they, didn't, have, they didn't have a ton in there. Um, but that said, kids, always watch the fucking credits. Yeah. You know you're going to get one with a Marvel movie. You know you're going to get one with a James Bond movie. Uh, but you never know. You might see something fun. And they did, they did that here. They did that there. Um, what was the other thing? I was... Uh, I can't remember. Well, that's not true. I was going to say I can't remember the last time I was in a movie theater that had that many people. It was funny hearing Dante when one of the behind-the-scenes interviews with him on the on the Blu-ray. He's like, he knew, and he says that he likes to show people watching TV because that's what he did as a kid. Right. You know, that's how he grew up, whatever. <clears throat> um, and so, like, half of this movie is just people looking at another screen. Well, and, and so it also... Now he made that observation that, that's... <laughs> the... You, with this, you definitely, I think, you have to do it more than any of his other movies because you're checking in with the update on the missile crisis. Yeah, and there was like there was there was a lot of trivia about that. Like the speech Kennedy made wasn't in the middle of the day. It was it was just historical shit like that, yeah. which doesn't it's not interesting. I do like how they uh, yeah you got to work your narrative to your advantage. Yeah, and that's a fucking. I movie. like how the young, the younger brother uses the word hell. Because, well, where did you learn that from? It was on the TV, Mom. <laughs> well, hell freezes over. Um, I was going to say, I don't remember the last time I was at a movie theater that was that crowded, but that is not true because when I went to see Oppenheimer in IMAX, it was sold out. And while it wasn't as densely packed like a theater like that, because the seats are different, but there was a fair amount of people there. And so. <laughs> Was that a different, it was a totally different type of movie, but it was still about an atomic bomb. <laughs> atomic, except that atomic disaster was real. And we're uh, still dealing with those ramifications and, today. Yeah. It was a good movie, but it was a different type of movie. Uh, not the <laughs> toe tapper? <laughs> yeah. Is that what you're going to say? Yeah, not a toe tapper, is it? Mission Impossible was good. I was seen that either. Yeah. But it was a different type of movie. Was yeah, the, it was a different type of movie. How many of those is he going to make? He's been making those. Since he, 96. I think, his plan is to end it with part two, which will, whenever will come out, who knows? Because of all the strikes that are going on, it's delayed a lot of things. Yeah, I feel like um, uh, we're probably. I don't know. I don't know how Showtime is if they're like Netflix with uh, shows that I like that they just seem to fucking cancel. But <laughs> if I don't at least get. A resolution to Yellow Jackets, I'm going to be pissed. You're probably going to have to wait if that is going to happen. I don't know. I've never watched the show. Uh, you might like it. It's dark. A uh, couple seasons right now? Two right now. Okay. Uh, I'll probably cancel it just because. They <laughs> got one day in the writer's room and then the strike happened, <laughs> they said. Um yeah, it's like a, it's like a little bit of Lost. Hmm. Um, I'm sure people are enjoying hearing about this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fuck them. Uh, okay, our podcast. It's so, not yours. Yeah. It's so ours. what are we doing next time? Well, I guess does it still hold up for you? Final thoughts. Uh, well, I can't really say that it does hold up only because I only saw it a week ago. Um, <laughs> but I, if I had seen it before and watched it now, for the most part, yeah, I think it, I think it does hold up. But I do have to admit, like I said before, um. Being this is my first viewing, I was a little concerned Sure, for that first 30 minutes. Like, is this going to go somewhere? 
is it what was it uh, also i was gonna say what was it when he sees the the stuffed alligator on top of the coke machine the vending machine uh, gallet uh galligator galligator that's what it was he was trying to think of uh galligator so some uh, woman that gets turned <laughs> half man half half woman half alligator galligator which half yeah which ooh, man um but the final hour makes up for the first act, in my think, in my opinion, the first act shortcomings. Um, Roger Corman alum Joe Dante probably makes one of his most personal films here. Sure, um, it's a bit saccharine sweet in parts. Um, it's definitely more family friendly than even just comparing it to Inner Space. Like Inner Space would be, I would consider Inner Space almost a hard PG compared to this one being a soft yeah. PG. Um, but I feel that it nails the period, putting his personal childhood childhood experiences up on screen from his fascination with creature features, the awkwardness of just young kids going on dates, taking a girl to the movies for the first time, to the paranoia scare of the Cuban Missile Crisis. It's, it's heartfelt. It's charming. It's a little charming little movie. Um, and charming, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely something not to pass up if you ever come across it. Um, Definitely, I would recommend seeing it on like a Sunday or Saturday afternoon, like a matinee. Yeah. Which yeah. is what I did. I actually watched it like last uh, Sunday afternoon. I think it I think it works really well as a matinee for a movie called Matinee. Yeah. I, I wish they hadn't dumped it in January. I think it might have done a little better. But I don't know that I want my Joe Dante movies to do – any better too well yeah i it's not his that's not his lane you know no he's i don't know how well like some of his mid 90s stuff before i'd lost interest and in, he kind of probably lost interest in making movies as well like i remember seeing small soldiers which were the action figures that kind of come to life tommy lee jones yeah yeah kind of like a dirty dozen in I the, saw that the military and then yeah it wasn't else. bad. I don't know what else um, he's done. But I think – and I know he did uh, Looney Tunes back in action, which was a early 2000s. He, it's almost like he did – I'm going to do my Roger Rog, – Roger. I'm going to do my uh, Zemeckis and do an animated live action at the same time and I just – it didn't interest me in much. No, like I Brendan Fraser and – I hate the Looney Tunes. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's – But he's a genre director and they just don't – do genre pieces anymore? They don't really do genre pieces anymore. Did you watch that um, time warp thing I told you about? Not yet. I will, but I haven't He's yet. heavily involved in that, and it's. I always love hearing Joe Dante talk about the craft. And he, he, was he thirteen the first time he, the, the first movie he made? He looks like he's maybe fifty. Yeah, he's got to be in his late sixties or early seventies. But man, uh, he's, yeah. he doesn't look that old. No, Good, he whatever he's doing, keep doing yeah, it, Joey. Keep doing it, yeah. Um, no, I like this movie when it came out. It's just, it's just, it's, it's like in that speed of movies that I, I seem to like. It's just a little left of center, uh, but not so far that you couldn't recommend it to a friend and be like, "Dude, check this out." I think you know you might like it. Um, it's probably one of the top ten most enjoyable uh john goodman performances yes that i think you can he, get out of him. yeah if he hadn't been brought on i don't know who else would have been able to fill that without john goodman that movie would not it would not work i don't know who else you could have cast that could have pulled off that type of you need a big gregarious 
larger than life dude. And that's what he was right then yep. and there. Yep. He I, still kind of is now. Yeah. I mean, just, he's great now, but it's just different. Yeah, it's just, he's not young anymore. Right. He's um, great in the Righteous Gemstones. He's, <laughs> I just can't get into that show. <laughs> it's funny. It, no, it's I get it. I get it. No, I, I always liked it, and like you said, I hadn't, I hadn't seen it in a minute. So that first thirty minutes, I, I felt that, but yeah, I knew what was coming, and it makes watching this movie makes you wish Goodman was in more movies than he is. It makes you wish he had been yeah. a leading man in a lot more films. He needs not. He's still great. It's just different. Those are my final thoughts. I yeah. guess it absolutely still holds up. I, you know, I one more thing, I. I was able to appreciate that movie when it came out because I give the boomers a lot of shit because they're boomers. But uh, they're your parents. And my mom would tell me, she would be like, this is what movie theaters were like when I was a kid. And where we lived, there was the movie theater that was still outdated like that. Because that's, yeah. Uh, that's with where, carpet? With 200-year-old carpet? Um, Might as well be. But we also had the, the multiplex, you know, 30 minutes away. Right. Um, so I was able to, like, buy passing down of stories at least not have a working knowledge of what going to the movies was like in the 60s but like i was told what it was like so i was like oh this is okay yeah i'm putting they're making a movie about what it was like Like, Mm -hmm. i can picture what my mom was talking about i don't know if kids nowadays will appreciate a movie like matinee because they have no fucking clue yeah they can watch whatever they want whenever they want wherever they want yeah they just grab their parents ipad or Whatever, I'm not, and I'm, mean, not, yeah. I'm not getting on one of those kids right. have it too easy these days. I'm just saying. like, I actually It's feel, a different type of. I feel bad for them because they don't like limitations are good sometimes because, you know, having like growing up, having three channels. Yeah. Fuck that. I don't want to watch any of this. Well, I guess I'll go outside and play. Yeah. Yeah. Now, or, now there's too many options. It's just unfortunate. <laughs> and it's just it's just as boring. Yeah. Like, um, is it yesterday? Having too much of a good thing is yeah. It was yesterday. Jamie, too much of a good thing is is bad. Jamie, yeah. Jamie went to work yesterday on her day off just to knock out some shit. So I had the house to myself, and I was like, you know what? It's 115 degrees. I'm not fucking. I'm not doing anything. I'm yeah. just gonna. I'm gonna. I, I cut. I got up. I cut the grass, and then I went and got a tattoo real quick. And then real I was quick, like, real like an hour. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, all right, I got the afternoon to myself. I'm gonna watch something. I sat down and I was like. Eh. I don't know what to pick. Uh, I'm, like, not, I'm not in the mood for that. I'm not in the mood for that. I'm going to watch this. And then it started. And I'm like, I don't fucking want to watch this either. And it's like, this is dis- yeah. disgusting. Too much of a good thing. Too much of, good, of a good thing. And um, I'm going to go outside and yell at clouds now. <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing next? Um, well, with how we're probably trying to plan to drop these, I think what we're planning on doing next is... It'll be near or near enough and close enough to Halloween that we're probably going to do um, Halloween. What Halloween? Halloween and Halloween. Halloween. <laughs> That's not confusing at all, what right? What he means, kids, is he means the genre-defining slasher classic, as Shudder calls them, Slashix, uh 1978 masterpiece, not to give you spoilers, Halloween, right by and, John Carpenter, and then a forty-year sequel <laughs> for that movie in twenty eighteen, done by my favorite uh, new horror studio, Blumhouse. Right? Yep, I like yeah. Blumhouse. 
They have a yeah. lot more hits than misses. Most and even their misses, dude. Depends like, on what it is, but yes, I agree. They're like a B movie studio house. Well, he knows how to pull. I think something else that I I've realized or something that I read. It's like if you want freedom, get a lower budget. Yeah, like. You have more freedom when you don't have as much money. Yeah, because people And it's are... not as much of a financial risk. Yeah. And then you're, the likelihood of you making more is much better, and you have more freedom to do it. And I think yeah. Blumhouse really excels with that. Like, yeah. yeah they, churn, they churn here. them out. They're straight to streaming. Yeah. Like, B-movies would have been straight, you know, to video in the, the 80s or 90s, and then straight to... Get, yeah, get your stars to be interested in in a story more and they're than good a paycheck. Stories. That's yeah. why they get decent stars for yeah. their movies. Yeah, and oftentimes, depending on the actor, they'll they will if they think it's a good enough story that can be executed well, they'll do it for scale rather than doing it for their paycheck. Yeah, because they pick up on the back end. Yeah, they either pick up on the back end or they'll make something else for a bigger studio. Whether or not it makes money or not, no. they make their paycheck. Kevin Bacon's done a few. Blumhouse movies. I'll have a I'll have a couple that I recommend next time. Um, so if you guys are going to watch along, I know most of you, if all of you haven't seen Halloween seventy eight, uh, Halloween seventy eight and Halloween twenty eighteen. Yeah, I'll do a whole timeline on the Halloween sequels. Uh, good because I won't have them. I've got a I've got a infographic. <laughs> you got um, some charts. And somebody else did it, and it's it's fun. It's, it's, it's yeah, it's it's real fun. Okay. Uh, so be ready for that, gang. And uh, in the meantime, stay off the moors. Six Pack Double Feature is a Clopet Media production. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. What do you spend your whole life sitting in monster movies?